I found the first hint about these records in a magazine from 1917. The name of the magazine was The New Assyria by Yuval Varda. And there somebody made an advert about his shop. He had a record shop. And in this advert he wrote, we have Assyrian records. So I was very surprised to read that because I thought the oldest records were from 1929, not 1917. Welcome everybody to episode 44 of the Assyrian podcast. My name is Rubina and I'm your newest co-host from Germany. Yes, we are known for many things, from Oktoberfest to our cars. But we also have a huge and active Assyrian community in Germany. And I'm so excited to introduce you to all the special and interesting Assyrians here. You'll be surprised at how much we have going on. In this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Abu Zaytun, who, like many other Assyrians, lives in the city of Wiesbaden, which is near the maybe better known city of Frankfurt. He has a wealth of knowledge about modern Assyrian music, which he has catalogued and documented in the form of books for every one of us to read. I'm so excited for you to meet Malfono, or Malpana, Abud, and hear about all the work he does to preserve not only our music and musical history, but different aspects of Assyrian history, including the biography he's working on about the father of Assyrian nationalism, Naum Faik. Little fun fact. Just by listening to Eastern Assyrian songs, he was able to learn and speak the dialect fluently. And he has a database of over 25,000 Assyrian songs. How cool is that? If this is the first episode you're listening to, Rabab Shena und Herzlich Willkommen. We deliver new episodes to you every Tuesday. So in order to not miss anything, be sure to click on the subscribe button and join our email list at info at And don't forget to review us and tell all your friends and family. Lastly, a shout out to Tony Kalagorakis and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois for sponsoring this episode. If you know anyone who has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagorakos. He has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, without further ado, here is Abu Zaytun. I start with a story, uh, as, as you asked for, the story of my family. My father was born in Arbo. This is a village in Turabdin. And he and his brother were, uh, he was around two years old and his brother maybe some months when my grandfather died. And my grandmother left them and married another guy. So they were, as you can say, orphans. Mm-hmm. And they grew up in the family there, larger as you know, our people in the villages, in the larger family. And with the age of, yes, I think, 14, 15 years, my father and his brother came to Syria. The family was poor. And they tried to start a new life in, in Qamishli. Mm-hmm. And 
the circumstances was this that they came too late regarding the to be registered as Syrian citizens. So they lived there as illegal uh, citizens. Well, what year was that? They came, I think, 1965. Yeah. And the registration was in 1962. Mm-hmm. So they were oh, three years too late yeah. there. And my father met my mother. They married, I think it was 1967. And um, I was born in Kamishli. I think it was 1971 because I don't know the real, the exact uh, birthday of okay. mine. After that, my father and mother decided to leave for Lebanon because of uh, working opportunities. And they thought at that time that Lebanon is a Christian state mm. and so Christians are welcome and so on. Of course, at the end, it was uh, not this vision they uh, met in, in so in, in in Lebanon. Our people not not that welcome, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, from the majority of the Maronites. Yeah, okay. they were. Um, uh, this it was not not a good mood. Mm-hmm. I would say. Who are the Maronites? Uh, Maronites are the majority of the Lebanese Christians. It's mm-hmm. it's an own church, a Maronite uh, Syriac church. And uh, they were the original uh, inhabitants of uh, the country, of course. And of course, we count them as Assyrians at the end, because mm-hmm. they uh, originally spoke our language. Meanwhile, they speak most, I think, 99% Arabic. I can't uh, remember or recall anything from the Syrian time. I grew up in Lebanon. I visited the school of the Syriac Orthodox Church, as uh, the name was Taumim Simkat. I'm very proud I get the chance to visit that school mm-hmm. because it's it's a very prominent school in our uh, modern history. And uh, one of the people who worked in the early establishment of this association, Tawmim Simkat, was Naum Fayyak. And I will wow. talk about Naum Fayyak later. Yes. I'm, that's why I'm very proud to say I am one of the students of Naum Fayyak. That's so <laughs> cool to say. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and uh, then till 1984... We emigrated to Germany then, and mm. since that time, I live here in Germany, the city of Wiesbaden. Mm-hmm. Now, the I big had Assyrian community. Yes, yes, in <laughs> Wiesbaden, it's uh, we have a large uh, community here. They from all near eastern uh, countries. The first people were from Turabdin, from Turkey. Then people from Syria came from Iraq, from Lebanon, from Iran. We had yeah. all of them here. And it's a nice mix. Yeah, and you came to Wiesbaden, and how did your life look like here? What did you yes. do? I had I had the luck that uh, I came with the age of 13, 14 years, that I had the opportunity to, to stay in school, first of all. And this is also a funny situation, if you can imagine... You travel to China and you you get you will be in a school in a class where you to start where you have to start to study and you don't speak the language. Yes. So oh, so hard. I had this situation. My luck was is that I had already some English courses or lessons in the school in Beirut. Mm-hmm. So at the end, the Latin scripts were not not strange for me or new. So this was the basis for me to to start uh, for the. German language. And I had the luck that I stayed, I came into the eighth uh, class 
and I stayed or I spent two years freely from myself that I said I will stay in my class mm-hmm. just to, to learn the language and to get the connection to this uh, to the study. So at the end I could manage that that I get my um, degree that at the end I could study uh, on the university here. Uh, I studied um, business administration here mm-hmm. and now I am working as compliance manager. Compliance manager is uh, many people, especially here in Europe, it's a new wor- wording which, which also the Germans took. I'm more uh, the anti-corruption uh, responsible uh, okay. in my company, yes. So my, my task is to, to teach people how to deal with business partners, for example, or public officials, how to avoid, of course, uh, corruption and so on. In Wiesbaden, we have an association, a cultural association, which was established in 1980. Mm-hmm. I became, of course, later uh, several times the head of this, or the chairman of this association. Yes. I think uh, one, two, three periods, I was the chairman of the association later. But in the beginning, we, live, we used to live in, in a village around 30 kilometers from Wiesbaden. So we mm-hmm. didn't have the opportunity to be always in the city. So firstly, I, was, I came in connection with the Assyrian movement in 1991, where I get a member of the ADO, mm-hmm. Assyrian Democratic Organization, Takasta. Yes. And there I started my national work or national um, international movement. Mm-hmm. And in 1999, I became the first time the chairman of the association here. Mm-hmm. Until that time, I wasn't even a member in the association. Oh, yes. So you yes, went I straight was, to chairman. Yes, <laughs> I was. I was. I was only a member at the ADO. And later, of course, in this in this period, I was in all activities of the organization, but also the activities of the association here in Wiesbaden. Mm-hmm. So from from this this starting point, I came in contact with our culture, our mm-hmm. music, and there started my interest in our culture and music, of course. And yeah. music, yes. yes. Your interest in music, did it come straight with the culture? Or was there a point in your life where you realized that you really Yes, maybe, it? maybe if I say the following sentence, the, the, the listeners will, will be surprised. In the late 80s, I used to hear Western music. I still sometimes hear, uh, for example, if I have some trainings, I, I have uh, two or three times in the week, uh, I made, uh, make sports, I, I, I'm running. Yeah. And I used to hear, for example, ACDC uh, or <laughs> something uh, like uh, hard rock or rock uh, or uh, with faster rhythms. And yeah, yes, yes. it's and so different to Assyrian music. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I started with that kind of music. It was in the late 80s, beginning mm-hmm. of the 90s. And somewhere at the beginning of the 90s, it switched that I started to like Assyrian music, to collect cassettes, uh, tapes, and mm-hmm. later CDs, and there it started. And of course, we have the luck here in Wiesbaden that we have all fractions of our people here, yeah. that I get the access to all the fractions and to get the music of all sides. For yeah. example, Assyrians from Iran have their own style and their own musicians and singers, and so they have, I think they have, still have their associations here. It's uh, Abget. Ah, yes. 
And from that time, they used to, uh, they hired also some singers from the U.S., like Robert Batsaya, George Arbachchi, names which I never heard before, of course. And this was my first connection with that group. Uh The other side is, of course, the the Assyrians from Iraq. They had also one association, very short time. Mm. And they had also their musicians and their their works, their cassettes and so on. Mm -hmm. So I get the chance to get this uh, material. This this was the time before internet, before the world became a village. So, and uh, as time gone by and I had a, a big collection of cassettes and beside that I am very uh, interested in, 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 in IT in the computers and so on and one day one colleague from my business from my work uh, show me his own database for his hobby his hobby was to collect uh, movies VHS he had in his database it was an access based uh, database for each tape or video, an own place for the cover, an own place for the actors and so on. And I asked him, could you maybe change this database for music tapes? For uh, He said, why? Well, I can try that, yes. Mm-hmm. And he, he did that, really. Until today, I still use that database, by the way. Oh. Yes. And there it started, the, the idea was born to make a catalog or a documentation First of all, of my private collection, mm-hmm. and then sometimes two or three years later, the decision came that I have to publish this work because it's missed in the in our uh, culture, mm. and if I make uh, a perspective today to the last uh, fifteen years, so many cassettes, many works are lost now. So at the end. I'm very happy to, that I did the, these two works, uh, that at the end we have a documentation, yes. catalog. Preserved. Um, preserved, right? yes, yeah. yes, for the next generations. First of all, I started then, beside my own collection, to get in contact with other people who are have the same disease like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I found some, some good friends who helped me then. Mm-hmm. that we could collect a lot of cassettes and at the end I borrowed many uh, works from them. I digitized them. This, is, this was a, the, the project behind, beside the book that everything I received uh, at the beginning that I made a digital copy of it from yeah. the cassettes, from the records and so on. And of course, scanning the covers and type the information in the database. Mm-hmm. All this was done and then Somewhere in 2007, the book was published. The Music Pearls of Beth The first book, yes. Berulet Musiqit Beth Naharin, Music Pearls of Beth Naharin, and a Syrian Syriac discography. This, is, this was my first book, and I was sure at that time, I was sure that there will be some works missed in that book, due to the less connections at that time. Because the first book was a door opener for me to get to the larger community all over the world, in, in Australia, in the US, and in, in our home countries. And that's why the second book was necessary. So the first one was a first try to show the people, look, we can preserve our heritage in this mm-hmm. way. And after that, as I said, many learned to know many good friends 
who were then part of the second book. The structure of the book is that I scanned every cover of a cassette, CD or vinyl record. I put it in an alphabetical order and then I wrote all song names, wrote the lyricists who wrote the text of the songs and who composed each song. Mm-hmm. And this I do for, for the first book. I can't remember how many cassettes I put there. I think it, there were maybe 1,500, I'm not sure. Wow, 1,500 cassettes? Yes. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, I have in my um, digital library around 25,000 uh, tracks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. And it's all Assyrian? Western Assyrian? Yes, Eastern yes, Assyrian, yes. All? Okay. The, main, the main category for me is that a singer uh, enter my books was the language. Of course, we have many singers who sung in other languages, but I didn't took their uh, records. I have them, of course, mm-hmm. I have them, but I didn't put them in my books because there is no benefit to sing in Arabic or in Turkish or what else for our uh, heritage. So yeah. I took only works in our language. I didn't make any difference between is it a stolen melody or not stolen, is it Turkish, uh, is it Arabic. Okay, yes. At the end, the, the, the criteria, criteria, criteria was which language do you sing, is it Assyrian, then it's okay, you mm-hmm. came in, is it not, then you are, you are out. Okay, and how long did it take you to write one book? The first one, um, I, I made a decision in 2003, It took four years for the first book mm-hmm. and from that time I thought, my, it was my thinking uh, as I published that in 2007, that this is the base, that's all, uh, but I recognized a short time later that, mm-hmm. that there is a need for a second book. So from 2007 till 2015 I worked on the second one. The second one is Modern Assyrian Music. This book comes um, along with a, a CD because uh, after publishing the first book, many uh, people asked me why don't you put a CD that we at least hear some samples. Mm-hmm. So I did that for the second book and I chose uh, around 60 different songs. Um, from 1917, from 1917 till 2000. 10. So that's the range of the samples which I choose. Wow. And beside that, beside the, the, the catalog, I have written the history, the modern history of our music. Mm-hmm. That means the development of our music of the last 100, 110 years. So I put uh, or I wrote many biographies of singers, songwriters, composers. So I think they have in the second book around. 10 biographies and in the first one also around, I think also 10 biographies wow. of persons I, I, thought, I thought they deserved that I write their biographies. And as for language, this is also the questions I get or critics sometimes, I used uh, to write both books in two languages, mm-hmm. in German and English. Many people ask me why don't you wrote that in Arabic. I answer always to these people that I said, I wrote these books for your children and unfortunately a large part of our people lives outside uh, our homeland and most of them 
or their children will be for sure not to learn Arabic or speak or read Arabic. Mm, that's true, yeah. So at the end, English is a language which we can say the next uh, 100 years, we don't have a problem with that. What was especially surprising during your, during your research? Surprising, man, many surprised, starting from the artists, first of all. I was astonished that I met, I met a lot of uh, singers, by the way. I met them, I interviewed them, and I was very surprised that I asked them about their works and they told me, we, I can't remember what I sang before 20 years. And uh, so I gave them the name of the songs, but they can't recall the name of the songwriter or the composer, for example. The other experience I had, we are still looking for an album cover of Serbon Gabriel, for example. This is an album cover of his album Ninove from 1978. Even Serbon don't have a copy of it. Yes. Maybe uh, some of someone of the listeners. That's why. That's it. why I'm telling, I'm telling that. <laughs> Please help us out. Yes. If you have uh, the cover of the record of Ninove from 1978 of Saron Gabriel, please send me uh, the at least the scan of that record. Of course, if you have it in original, I will buy it and I will give you a copy of my book as a, as a gift. <laughs> yes, but this it was I was very surprised. It was uh, because. Even singers who, lives, who live in, 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 in the West, uh, we had these problems. I visited, for example, Syria. Mm-hmm. And so in Syria, there wasn't this official cover and cassettes. They used to, to record their music on reel tapes. Reel tapes are these larger, what I said, it's, it's reel tapes. The listeners can Google that. It's reel tape is the name. <laughs> I can't describe it. Uh, it's, it's a larger cassette, you can say, with two uh, reels. So on, on, on each of these reel tapes, you can record around five, four or five hours. And they used to record on these reel tapes. And of course, they did have also that professional studios in, in Syria. They used to, to, to record that in their homes. And it was, I felt a little bit like an archaeologist because I received dozens of, of real tapes, there was nothing written on them. And it was it's always um, surprising to get them first of all, and then we used to give them to a professional company, these uh, real tapes. They put them in an oven, they warm them some hours, and then they play them and digitalize them. Okay. So, and then the moment comes where the surprise, uh, what is in this real tape? <laughs> so, and uh, we were surprised that we hear, of course, there were also some, some foreign uh, singers. Samira Tofiq, for example, it's known a Syrian uh, singer, sings Arabic there, no problem, okay? Some Kurdish songs we hear there. But mostly, because we received them from Assyrians, mostly are uh, from our singers, from the 70s, 60s. 50s and also we discovered many songs we never heard before they were they were lost you can say we could recover them from from so death you can say <laughs> yes and now we have them of course and beside that I made a lot of interviews of the people especially all the people I like to interview them mm-hmm. because they have a lot of knowledge and uh, I do I did that with, with many people I, I sit, sit beside them, record them for five hours and ask them 
about their daily life before 40, 50 years, 60 mm -hmm. years. And I had the luck that some of them had very good memory. And how did it change? How did Assyrian music change throughout the time? And what is the difference uh, from like years ago and today? Talking about Assyrian music, you have to make, first of all, um, a split between East and Western Assyrian music. Mm -hmm. um, Western Assyrian music, you have to know that till 1968, uh, we didn't use, as, as West Assyrians, uh, we didn't use to sing folk songs. It was like a sin or forbidden. Or what else? I, I wrote about this issue. It's in an own chapter in my book. Starting from 1968, there we have Sham Omar uh, with the voice of Habib Musa and then it started from Qamishli and then we had then a lot of, of productions. The West Assyrians till, you can say till today mostly, used to, to take uh, oriental instruments, Oud, Terbakke and so on. Uh, meanwhile, of course, they use only keyboards. But uh, the difference to the East Assyrians is the, first of all, Even in, uh, for the East Assyrians, you have made the difference between Iran and Iraq. So in my lectures, I give one sample of William Daniel. William Daniel is one of the maestros of our music. There's no doubt about that. If you hear his music or how people sing his music, you will feel that this, this is very European and classical music. It's only for, from the hearing here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, the, the roots are Assyrians, no doubt. But uh, the kind of the people, how the people were educated, William Daniel, follows Khufri, uh, Nebo Isabai, and so on. All of these maestros were, get their, their music education in Europe or in the US. So they came back to Iran with an, a classical European education. So... On this base, of course, the classical education is the highest education about music we talk about, of course. And on th this was the base for their productions. So all of them have uh, books with notation and so on. It, it's very rare today to see musicians in our people or uh, Assyrian people that uh, they publish books with notation. But these maestros in Iran, they did that. And they wrote songs which are for our ears, for my pers personally, my ear, is very classical, European classical, but very lovely melodies. I have one sample, I give that in my lectures also. I took one song, uh, the song is Marganita. Oh, yes. Uh, one time it is sung by Lorraine Davis, and Lorraine Davis is a soprano, you can say. She sings like an opera. And I give the same song, it was a gathering, it was not an official concert, nothing. There were some people who were sitting in Tehran and I think the name of the singer there is Albert Khoshabe and he sings the same song and on the second version you can uh, dance Shekhani on it. The first song is opera <laughs> where the singer is crying <laughs> more, yes. and there I, I display for the people that uh, I would say look It sounds like classical European, but is its heritage is, is, is our, our music. And this is what our maestros in Iran done. This is the one side uh, from Iran. Iraq is, again, another story. Uh, it's another story because Iran, uh, most bands were influenced by um, Western music instruments, I would say, from the uh, British uh, there, British uh, army was there. 
Habbaniya was a, a military station mm-hmm. near Baghdad, and there uh, the first bands uh, was uh, were built or created, and they used to use, take drums, guitars, and so on. Less you can less hear oud or dirbaki in the productions of Assyrians from Iraq in that period. It's only the, the breakthrough I will say in in Iraq was. The starting of the recording at Jamil Bashir's recording studio in Baghdad. The first one was Oshana Yuval Mirza in 1959. And then after Oshana Yuval Mirza, many other song, uh, singers came and took Oshana as their idol to produce their own songs. So we have the after Oshana, Adwar Yusuf Biba. Uh, Albert Ruel Tamras, mm-hmm. even Sargon Gabriel sang in the background chorus in one of the recordings of Albert Ruel. So this was the breaking point uh, where many singers started uh, their career in from Iraq. Interesting. What does Assyrian music say to the world that is different than what everyone else is saying? Or? Well, um, today. Today we don't say anything to the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, I gave a lecture in Frankfurt at the university and also in Harvard University, and I started my lectures with our ancient music, especially our church music, and I uh, tried to dis- display in this in these lectures that all the oriental music we have today uh, has roots in our in our ancient uh, music, uh, of course, but I, I take one video piece. I took it from Nuri Skandar. Nuri Skandar is a known composer uh, from our people, from Syria. And he did um, a kind uh, of a concert in 2008 in Damascus. And he took two choruses, two groups of singers. The one group started to recite prayers from the mosque. The starting was from the church, first of all. Yeah. They started and so on. And then it's uh, the, the group from the mosque start to sing. I didn't comment this, this piece of video because if you hear it, you will not find any difference between how the Muslims pray and how we pray. So the message is, we are older than you, at least 600 years. So it should be so that, that you took our music for, for your prayers and, and later for your music, of course. And the bass, uh, I'm not a musicologist, but I have friends uh, who gave lectures about this issue. All the scales and so on of our church music are the same which Arabs and Turks have today. So they... they took that from our church, from our heritage. Mm-hmm. So this is the first thing we gave to the world. Yes. Your question was about what do we give today? Yeah. And today I am very sad. I'm very, very sad about our situation. Uh, first of all, I start with my part of the Western Assyrian singers. I'm very angry about them. Yes, I... I say that in front of them in their face also that I can't understand it that a young singer who don't speak Arabic start to learn Arabic and to sing in Arabic and to produce CDs in Arabic 
I can understand that. And we have many, many examples like this. I, I say that directly to them also, that I don't respect such behavior. Because as the modern West Assyrian folk songs were introduced, the aim of the guys, one of the guys was Ninos Aho, for example, the late Ninos Aho, or Dr. Abraham Lahdo, Sio Abraham Lahdo. Uh, the aim of these guys, this, this was a decision of the ADO, Assyrian Democratic Organization, that we have to shift or to throw out all Kurdish, Turkish, Armenian singing from our weddings. And they succeeded also in that. But nowadays, uh, what I say, what I see uh, at our singers, especially as I said here in Europe also, that they bringing even Kurdish music back to our weddings. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I don't have any understanding for that. And the other point is that even very successful singers don't produce anything new. So mm -hmm. I have many in my mind now, I'm talking about them. They get maybe 40, 50, 60,000 euros a year, but they are not able to produce five songs a year. And their argument is always that we don't have money. That's not true because if you receive 60,000, you can invest five, 6,000 in your audience. Yes, this is the, the, the bitter reality of the West Assyrian music. So I, I had uh, before two, three months, uh, there were a youth camp here in Germany. It was only about music and it was only about the current music and I tried to collect the last productions of the last two and a half years. And for, for uh, West Assyrians, I couldn't, I could, I could identify 34 songs. Yes, we have wow. in Europe, just for the listeners, we have for, in Europe, I think maybe around 100 singers. So if wow. each singer produced one song a year, I'm happy with would that. Have, yeah. <laughs> I would be happy with that, yes. <laughs> But no, oh. 100 singers, but uh, in three years, uh, 30 songs, or uh, it's a disaster for us. And do you think that is still going to be the situation in, let's say, 30 years, or is it going to change? Well, it's, we are in a crucial time now, because our language, in whole Europe, we don't have one kindergarten, I'm not saying school, mm -hmm. not one kindergarten where our, our language is taught. Uh, so the language is very essential. And if we don't uh, speak and teach our uh, language, so don't uh, expect that the coming generation will produce songs in our language. So this is very, very crucial. That's why, that's why the, the responsibility of the today's singers who are fluent in our language is very big because they have to produce songs, yes? We have songwriter, we have songwriter. We have uh, people who can uh, put uh, words together. Maybe we don't have uh, good composers. That's, that's maybe also the, the, tr uh, the sad reality. But even if you have money, we can acquire that, that, that people uh, can get also good mel melodies. Yes. Mm -hmm. And at the end, if we come back to the church, we can get a lot of melodies from the church. I know I mentioned Dr. Ibrahim Lahdo. Mm -hmm tries to give this message. He, he made a lot of concerts and a lot of, of CDs where he put music from the church, from church hymns, and converted them to uh, folk songs. 
So I think I'm I'm sure that there are a lot of pearls in our church music where our musicians can reproduce and make something new out of them. There's been efforts made by Munir Sheri, like they put Assyrian music on YouTube and websites for the following generations, as your books, for the following generations to to be able to look that up. How can there be more access to music besides from that? Yeah, well, first of all, I greet my friend Munir <laughs> via this channel. <laughs> well, uh, Munir, we are on a daily contact. Uh, okay. Yes, yes. Uh, Munir uh, is a good friend. He supported me in mostly in my second book. This was one of the do- the persons who I know knew about him after my first book. Mm-hmm. So in in the first book, you miss you will miss his name, but in the second book, he was one of the main actors uh, of the book uh, I would say because he uh, was he is still a collector and very as I said uh, very deep behind the issues mm-hmm. and I'm very thankful uh, that I get in contact with him and beside him there is uh, Romeo Hanna Romeo Hanna is I think over 70 years now old but he helped a lot because in the 60s he was musician he used to play guitar in one of the our Assyrian groups in, mm-hmm. in Iraq I think he worked also in a record shop in Baghdad so he had a very good not only memory but also he he made a documentation of these uh, issues and he, he originally wanted to, to also publish a book but as after he saw my first book he decided to help me These three people or two people beside my friend Hannibal Romanos. Hannibal Romanos is from Sweden. These people are the, the what I say, the, the, the core of this collector uh, network. I have also Yilmaz Beth Zaroke, I don't know before I forget somebody. <laughs> <laughs> And this, these are the core net of, of the collectors. And um, we have all of this group the same copy of the music mm-hmm. because it is a high responsibility to have 25,000 songs in one place so it's very dangerous if laptop crashed or, oh or so on of course i have my my own backup yes. but beside that <laughs> beside that at least in two places in the uh, on the world we have the uh, same copy so oh, good thing they are secured <laughs> yes yes But back to, to your question, um, a website where we can publish all these songs uh, is first of all a question of time because you have to invest a lot of time to update the, the website, to maintain it and it's a question of uh, costs of money. So uh, these two points are important because uh, if you don't have that... Uh, at the end, at the end, with my books we have uh, documentation that nothing is lost. Maybe, as I told you the story about the real tapes, the same what for our search was that we looked, searched for old books and newspapers uh, where is something about our music is written about. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you maybe this story about the oldest records we know now. That's also, also a question of um, yes, um, luck that we found them. Um, I found the first uh, hint about these um, records in a magazine from 1917. Mm-hmm. The name of the magazine was The New Assyria. The New Assyria was published by Jewel Warda. Jewel Warda. It was, he was a, a, a Assyrian priest. 
And there, somebody was made an advert about um, his uh, shop. Mm-hmm. He had uh, a record shop. And in this advert, he wrote, we have Assyrian records. So uh, I was very surprised to read that because I thought the oldest records were from 1929 mm-hmm. and not, not 1917. So there I started to ask the, the, his children and grandchildren, because he died for sure in 1917, mm. and he didn't find these records. So by chance, somebody, and one day, somebody on eBay sold three records, and on the records there is written Assyrian records. Wow. And the guy who had the shop wrote, we have Assyrian records. So, and these records we found by chance on eBay, my friend Munir Cherry has the original. We have three records. There are at least four records because we have number two, three and four. Mm-hmm. Number one, we don't know. We don't have it. Still don't have it. So this is a chance we get them. And we have, of course, now also digital copy of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is how, how, how we start, how we worked also. Uh, we had a lot, also I, I reviewed a lot of magazines, mm-hmm. especially magazines, to find any information about singers, composers, and so on. Um, the third book is, is not, not only my work. It is a work of some guys, some young people. It's a cooperation with four or five young people from the Assyrian Youth Federation in Germany, IUTM. And they came with the idea, we want to write a, a songbook. That means we want to write down the lyrics of songs. And we want that you help us in this case. I said, of course, I'm ready to help. And we did this work. The book is since two years in the market. The name of the book is Music Heritage of Mesopotamia. Yurtuto or Yurtuta in Musiqi Nahrin. And we decided or we collected or we wrote the lyrics of 145 songs. In Latin letters, but of course in our language at the end. In Latin letters and we put all songs on DVD in this book so we have on the DVD 145 songs and this is a song book where everybody can sing with a song also just yes. sit around the bonfire and yes. sing along <laughs> yes 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 and it's a mix of West Eastern Assyrian uh, songs and we have also even some uh, church um, hymns uh, in the book yes this was in 2016 mm. with uh, some friends of uh, IUTM. You must be proud of them, right? Young people engaged yes, in I'm the music. Yes, I'm very happy. I'm very happy yeah. that uh, these guys came with this idea. And I'm very happy. I'm, I'm also say hello where this, this interview <laughs> to them. Shout out <laughs> let, to AJM. Let, let me see, before I forget some of them, I will mention <laughs> all of them. <laughs> First of all, of course, Melko Baidono, mm-hmm. David Irani, Daniel Shushe, Alko Baidono, Augin Aho. So I didn't forget number one. So it's apparent that you've given a lot of your life into this work in the Assyrian community. Do you ever look back and wish you would have focused your efforts in a totally different direction? No. I think what, what I have done is it was lack in our uh, documentation in our history so i think i'm happy to enter this field because um, 
of course I have mentioned some names of people who collected but I don't know if they ever came to the idea to print a book mm -hmm. to publish a book of this collection so this step I, I, I closed this, this chapter I think uh, as for the music of the 100 years this is enough I think for documentation yes also digitalization we are so far okay with that so no I'm happy with that Yes. Yeah. And we all listen to music that inspires us. Who do you listen to? Who's your favorite singer? <laughs> it depends on the mood you are in. Uh -huh. uh, I don't have one favorite singer. It depends on the mood. Of course, if I'm in a mood to relax, is Ashur Betzelkis mm. number one. Uh, no way. <laughs> and of course, I say always, uh, there is... No wedding among our people, West or East Assyrians, where you don't hear songs of Sargon Gabriel. No, yeah, so that's right. <laughs> I think if this singer didn't uh, produce these records, I don't know what which songs the people will sing. Wai Wai Minnach is standard in all weddings I I, I attend and and so on, and the Parzona and that uh, Mama yes. Oshana and so on. <laughs> yes, and that's uh, true. so. If I like to dance, then of course to the songs of Sergon Gabriel mm. or Ivan Agassi, of course, yes. great. And for for the Western part, the voice of Habib Musa is great. This uh, mountainous uh, voice is. Uh, it's only to mention some of them. Okay. Of course, I like many uh, singers who are also my friends. Mm. So, but it's as I said, it depends on the mood you are in. You're currently working on a new book. Yes. It's about Naum Feig, right? Yes. So the listeners can't see that now. What <laughs> I am holding in my hand is a book who originally was or, or was in the uh, possession of Naum Feig in person. Wow, okay. It, it's his original book. It's, it looks like it's a really old notebook. It's yes, so yes. Nice. It, here yeah. you, can, you can read the poverty of and then he wrote in his hand. Naum no. Palach, yeah. this is his name, and this was his address also here, uh, 20, uh, 21st uh, Street in Western West New York, West New, New York. Jersey. Wow, yeah. So, um, this is one of his books. I had, I'm very lucky to receive the material which is left now, I think we lost a lot of them, but at the end what is left, uh, I could get it from my last visit in this uh, October. This material are some books and many handwritings of him or manuscripts. So I decided to write about Naam Faiq because I entered the ADO mm. in 1991. And since that time, I can recall, all till today, we have the memorial of Naam Faiq every year on the 5th of February and till now we didn't had any original writing of Naum Faiq. So we talk about him, he was a great poet, great nationalist and 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 and, and mm -hmm. but nothing of his writings. Just short, for listeners who do not know who Naum Faiq is, tell yes. us. <laughs> yes. Before we to yes, yes, understand. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Naum Faiq you can count him as the father of Assyrian nationalism, mm. 
beside um, Ashur Yusuf. Ashur Yusuf was a professor in Kharput in uh, Turkey. He was murdered at the genocide in 1915. And Naum was his companion, you can say. Uh, he was from Diyarbakir, from Omid Amid. And he emigrated to the U.S. in 1912. And still in, in the homeland, he produced a magazine, Kaukab Madenho, or Kaukab Madencha. And today we have, I think, 45 or 46 issues of this magazine. Mm-hmm. And in that time, he also founded a society, Eiruto, Eiruta, Awakening mm-hmm. Society, to awake the people, to say, awake, we are a nation, we have to stand up for our rights, and so on. And after he migrated to the U.S., he continued to publish a magazine, it was Beth Nahrin. Mm-hmm. And uh, in two, two years, in, from 1921-22, he was also the chief audit, editor, or yes, chief editor of Khuyada was the official magazine of the Assyrian uh, National Associations uh, at that time. And he died in 1930 in uh, New Jersey. And all his life he wrote. He wrote. So, and the only link we have to Naum Fayyak today in all the commemorations and memorials we have is a book which was published in 1936 in Damascus. It was a kind of memorial about him. Some friends of him decided to write something about him, to collect about him. The name of the book is Dhikra wa Takhlid. There, uh, many people of that time wrote some statements about him and they put some short original writings of him. That's all what we have mm-hmm. today. So today, as I said, the world is becoming a village. I have now around 190 issues of Beth Naharin, 45 issues of Kaukab Mancha, and 39 issues of Khoyada. Beside the books you, you can see here, what I have here, of course he, he wrote also several books. We have some of them. Meanwhile, I think around 10 books I could locate and we have them digitally now. So this is the base where I start my work for Naum Fayyak. So the obstacles we have with this issue is, uh, coming back to the language, uh, why it's very crucial. Um, Naum Fayyak used to write in Garshuni Ottoman Turkish. Mm-hmm. That means he used to write in our letters, but the language behind this writing was Ottoman Turkish. Oh, okay. So the problem now is, I can't speak or read Turkish. Even if I could speak Turkish, the, today's Turkish is different from the old Turkish. So we need somebody specialist who can decipher this writing. <laughs> so I have the luck that I have a relative here who is Malfona, who is a teacher in our language, who also is good in Arabic, in Kurdish, in Turkish. Wow. So at the end, he, I think 95% he can understand the Ottoman Turkish. So I, I bought uh, him a, a recorder, voice recorder, mm-hmm. gave him the digital copies and I said, so you start now to read and to translate to Surat, to, to, yeah. that I understand what he wrote. And then I start now to 
translate to English and German. You're going to write the book in both languages as well? Yes, I will. My aim is to produce, uh, to publish two different books, mm -hmm. one in English, one in German, and not, not one book in two languages. Okay, yeah. Two different languages, but as I said, it's the language first of all, because he wrote also in Gershuni Arabic. He wrote in, in Assyrian, also in our language also. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in Huyodo, in Huyada, there are parts in English, parts in Arabic. And we have some magazines of his time. This is very interesting. Magazines of his time. The people from Kharput who came to the U.S., they used to speak Armenian mm -hmm. and used to write in Armenian letters, but Turkish, uh, Ottoman Turkish. So this is a challenge which I didn't resolve yet. I don't have... So somebody who can uh, translate these writings. Oh, okay. There was a magazine named uh, Babylon. There was uh, and, and Nineveh as another uh, magazine where they used these letters, Armenian letters, but uh, Ottoman Turkish behind it. So it's not from Naumfayak himself, but uh, at, at the end I found his picture in one of the books where his Armenian is written. So I have to translate uh, that part at least. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yes. Is it so hard to find someone? Like for an Armenian person that maybe speaks uh, Ottoman Turkish? It's hard, yes. I don't oh. know somebody. It's, uh, I know uh, via connections that it's possible to, to translate that. But it's a question of money then. Mm, because right. I don't name them personally, but they are somewhere in Turkey and they demand money for that. Oh, okay. But uh, the main part is that in our, the, the main writing of Naum Fayak, uh, we can do it by ourselves. Mm. And uh, there I enter that. I will, the whole recording, because the person I talked about, he record each issue and I will save this in my library also, the recording. So we did that also as an um, archive at the end for people who don't uh, read this language. And at the end, we are happy to have, first of all, the, the material because they were lost. And the main thank for this issue is to, uh, going to Mara. Uh -huh. Mara is the Modern Assyrian Research Archive. Uh, it's a foundation which was founded before, I think, 10 years or mm. more than 10 years. And through the visits of the friends, especially my friend Thomas uh, Ishik, mm -hmm. we could collect a lot of these original writings. We have at least the scanning of them in digital format. So they are available and now we can get into them and uh, write about them. And this will be the first, I will say, I will say authentic biography of Naum Fire. It's really interesting. It's so nice. Like, where did you get these old um, notebooks? So these notebooks, what you see here is, I was this autumn, uh, before four or five weeks, I was in, in, in Harvard. And Harvard was, University? Yes, mm -hmm. and from there I went to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I asked for this material in New Jersey. The family of Naum Fayyik uh, gave this material at that time, at, I think before 40, 50, 60 years, I don't know, to the church there and at the end i could get them i was uh, very happy because uh, they show me them as i said this is everything i have a lot more here it's okay. only these two um he said these are the this is the material i thought i can make some pictures of them mm -hmm. 
And he said, no, you can't take them. Wow. I looked back and I said, do you really mean I can't take them? <laughs> so my, my complete luggage back from the U.S. was uh, <laughs> blocked, books and blocked by books of now by Aqayas. Yes. Wow. Yeah. We have listeners from all over the world. If you had one thing to say to them all, what would that be? Uh, I am very happy that we have the opportunity uh, today to connect via this medium, I will say, uh, internet. I'm very happy about this opportunity and I use it extensively in my works. I still use it also. We can use it for the welfare of our nation. What I will say, get in contact to our people worldwide. As I said, uh, for my case, I see, it, see that from our uh, youth federation. They have contacts all over the world from Arizona, Canada, to the homeland. Um, this is great. And the opener of this is the way where you can hear me now. Uh, is the internet, of course. And uh, we as people, we are very open to each other. It's my, my experience. I contacted many people for my works. And, and I say, I am a Syrian. I want to, to information from you. And you see the people are very open to you. And just use this op opportunity to connect with, with, with each other. And this helps you not, not only in the field of national work. It's helped you also maybe in your private uh, work, in, in your private network. It's, it's a great opportunity. We have to use that. And beside that, I hope, I hope that we can find ways to preserve our language. I wished I, I could, I, of course, I, I can do this interview in my language, but <laughs> however, we do it now in English. Um, but I, I wish, my, my greatest wish is to, that we uh, can rescue our language even i hear that uh, from uh, my uh, western part uh, that uh, that the easterns we can't understand them mm. i speak both dialects i learned the eastern dialect only by hearing music by the way yes wow. uh, i don't have somebody here where i can exchange uh, with them but only from um, hearing uh, songs uh, music and uh, sometimes it makes click and then i started to speak uh, and meanwhile i give i gave some lectures in the eastern dialect and i get uh, by the way from the san jose uh, community my certificate of urmejnai <laughs> <laughs> these ways the way of internet is a great way to we can do it to, to uh, save our language, but we have to start it. I see some steps. We have virtual schools, for example, so on, that we should preserve our language.